Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Jim, I'm looking forward to this. We're returning to a topic near and dear to our hearts, the golden rule. Remember episode three? Where we did the first sort of golden rule, yes, right back in the day, <laughs> we were we were we were eking it out, weren't we? And we based that on uh, Jesus' expression in Matthew seven: you know, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you." So, uh, if you're watching this right now, whatever you are, go back and watch episode three. We'll put a link in the notes, and you can find it easily, and uh, you'll catch up with us back from that early, early episode of Grace Archie. In that episode. <laughs> We covered your personal journey, which is really cool. Uh, your personal golden rule story. And without that, we really wouldn't be talking about this today. No, we wouldn't have the show. We wouldn't have the show. I mean, that was that was such a seminal moment. Mm -hmm. And we also talked about the debate over the words and how it this golden rule undoes the eye for an eye justice concept. And in that episode, we also explained about ego, how ego can be our enemy. And that's a stoicism concept, I think, and provided concrete steps to increase our ability to apply this rule, even in the most difficult of circumstances. And one of those concepts, which we're going to hit today a little harder, is steel manning. And we'll get to more detail on that. Anyway, go back and watch episode three. You'll notice how different, even how rough that show was. <laughs> but we're including the link. We're, we're courageous here. And uh, today, let's take on another aspect of the golden rule, which is basically it's universality. Well, there's a word, universality. Everybody seems to have a version of the golden rule in their belief system, right? They do. And by the way, I'm still proud of that episode, the content, even if, you know, we the production was rough, we had some good content. <laughs> we did. But yes, it's a universal uh, rule, right? And and there's a, uh, a multi-faith poster that shows the golden rule. It was uh, very carefully assembled uh, in 13 different faith traditions that we want to go through. It was designed by Paul McKenna of Scarborough Missions, and it hangs in the headquarters of the United Nations since 2000. So one of the oldest, oldest versions of the Golden Rule comes from Buddhism. It says, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Right? Yeah. And not far off from Buddhism is Confucianism. One word which sums up the basis of all good conduct, loving kindness. Do not do to others what you would not want done to yourself. And loving kindness, by the way, is a word that exists in Judaism. Chesed, which has been translated various different ways, but loving kindness is the one that comes closest to what that word means. Yep. And Jesus probably had Hillel himself in mind when he uttered the golden rule. Uh, Judy, his version for Judaism is what is hurtful to you do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary, he said. Uh, Taoism, I teach Tai Chi, so I'm, I'm interested in this one. Regard your neighbor's gain as your own gain and your neighbor's loss as your own loss. We're all in this together, people. Yep. Hinduism, this is the sum of duty. Do not do unto others 
what would cause pain if it is done to you. The Baha'i faith, which kind of brings a lot of different traditions together. Lay not on any soul a load that you would not wish to be laid upon you and desire not for anyone the things you would not desire for yourself. Sikhism. I am a stranger to no one, and no one is a stranger to me. Indeed, I am a friend to all. Islam. Not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. High bar to cross there, by the way. <laughs> Very high. Jainism. One should treat all creatures in the world as one would like to be treated. Zoroastrianism. Do not do unto others whatever is injurious to yourself. Unitarianism. We affirm and promote respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. And native spirituality is the last one on this particular poster, save for one. And that is, we are as much alive as we keep the earth alive. But the version that we know best in the West is the one from Jesus, the Christian version. It says, in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this is the law and the prophets. You can hear the echoes of Hillel in there. So that's the golden rule. And we covered a lot of different faith traditions just now. A lot of different systems that people belong to. Right, Bill? Absolutely. And you get kudos for being able to say Zoroastrianism without flinching. <laughs> Those were the men that followed the stars. A lot of people don't know that. The wise men. Zoro the wise men. Pro probably Zoroastrian. Yeah. Yep. And it yeah, we, extends. We, we, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, we are truly all in this together. If, that kind of wisdom just doesn't pop up all by itself. I know? think the fact that we see it so repeatedly says that there is something really universal about it. It's not really right. an optional extra. Right. It's not an add-on. It's fundamental. And, and I would go so far as to say people would consider someone who violated this idea to not be a good person. Like it would be the kind of definition of what is and is not a good person. Yeah, it's a consciousness yardstick. You know, if you're hurting somebody else, you're definitely not. Well, I mean, there are sadists who think the golden rule means that I can hurt you as much as you can hurt me. Uh, of course, that it's See, not. I don't think so. Reciprocal. <laughs> yeah. So, so notice all the different ways all those translations hit it. It was something that if you found hurtful to you, you wouldn't do. If it was something it. that, yes, there, there's, there's this, and, and even, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people think they're getting clever when they bring up the masochist exception, but even masochists, there's two things true about masochists. Okay. One, they found pleasure in the pain that was being given. So it is not injury to them. It's not harm. And two, they usually have a safe word. Meaning they can say stop whenever they want. Their consent is always at play. So we don't want our consent. In fact, we're going to go through this in a couple of minutes. We don't want our consent ever, ever taken away. That's that's a that's a bare minimum here. It's a golden rule yes. idea. So if you hit it with all these different types of words, you start to see, I think, a much better picture. English, any type of language, it's not going to capture every part of this. But we recognize the wisdom of it inherently. It's in our heart. We know it. Yes. Yes. It shows up in philosophy too. It shows up. Right, in yeah. Hit us with some of the names because okay. Can... So existentialism, Jean-Paul right. Sartre. What we choose is always the better, 
And nothing can be better for us unless it is better for all. John Stuart Mill's classical utilitarianism, which is coming from a completely different perspective now. We've just completely shifted gears. In the golden rule of Jesus of Nazareth, we read the complete spirit of the ethics of utility, to do as you would be done by, and to love your neighbor as yourself, constitute the perfection of utilitarian morality, he wrote. Karl Popper, who is uh, influential on George Soros, coincidentally, uh, he said this principle of, quote, doing unto others wherever possible as they would be done by is basically a platinum rule. That's how other people kind of coined it when he was done. They called that version that Popper offered a platinum rule. You'll find business books that have called that the platinum rule. I'm going to offer some silver rules in just a moment. Immanuel Kant perhaps had the most famous one, the most absolute version of this statement. Act only according to that maxim whereby you can at the same time will that it should become a universal law. So what he's saying is before you act, what you do, keep in mind, everyone has to do exactly the same way. What would the world look like if you did that? He called this the categorical imperative. Yes, that that's it, right? Who thinks in those terms anymore? There aren't many. <laughs> well, it, he, he was going even beyond where the golden rule went, but you could see the relationship. You could see like... These ideas are cousin ideas, right? They're they're overlapping. Yeah, give us some of the silver rules that have that these have spawned. Well, the most famous one and the simplest version, if you ask me, of this idea is three words: do no harm. That's the oath, basically. That that's the first rule of the oath or principles of the of the practice of being a physician, right? Yeah, Hippocratic oath, right? Do no harm. Right. You can help, but in the process of helping, make sure you do no harm. Don't make the situation worse. Right. That's a golden, golden, that's a silver rule. It's not so much do unto others, it's don't do. Yes. That one of the don'ts. (laughs) Yes. Don't. Uh, Yes. Uh, Shameless plug time. Zero aggression principle, which says don't initiate force, don't use excessive force or violence against others. Don't initiate that. And don't delegate that power to politicians either. And we bring that to you from the Zero Aggression Project, zeroaggressionproject.org, who sponsors this show. We're grateful. Check out zeroaggressionproject.org. But that zero aggression principle, again, a rule that if we lived by, it would eliminate a lot of coercion and aggression. Zero out aggression. That's the direction it's looking to go. It's a directional statement, zero aggression. We don't initiate force. We don't use excessive violence to get things done. And we know what those things are. We recognize who threw the first punch or we recognize when somebody's going way overboard. We know that those things are not necessary. Defense might be permissible, but defense is about restoring order and peace. It's not about retribution, punishment, excessive violence, right? It's not about those things. Greed, all of those things are not defense. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about this. Uh, this is a mouthful, but the principle of positive reciprocity. Yeah, so I believe that empathy is the basis of our rights. So I understand how I want to be treated. This is a golden rule idea. I understand how I want to be treated, and that gives me the ability to step. Empathy means basically to walk in your moccasins. 
to be able to see and feel the world through you, but I feel it inside me. Like your world felt inside of me. And that is to take that golden rule practice and turn it into a sense and be able to feel it. That becomes the basis of rights. And we extend that even to this idea. I mean, we go so far and radical with this concept that we say that people are innocent until proven guilty. Not innocent until the mob wants to lynch them. Innocent until proven guilty. We set up systems that are basically empathetic in nature that say, we're going to give you the presumption of or the, or the benefit of the doubt. We're going to give you the presumption of innocence. We're going to allow you to have an attorney. We're going to make sure that you your claims can be heard and that you can confront your accusers. We're going to give you appeals uh, after conviction. We're going to uh, ban cruel and unusual punishment. We're going to give you a quick and speedy trial and right to a jury of your own peers. These are all functions of imagining ourselves or someone we deeply, profoundly care about being in the dock and then saying we're going to extend these to the worst of us. So, so, this, is a stor- so this is a form of, of, of empathy. Exhibit A. He's got four indictments. Every one of them is an innocent until proven. Is this a way for us to practice positive reciprocity? I think it's completely fine for you to have your beliefs based on the evidence that you've heard so far of where this case is going to go. I think it's also, uh, um, I don't think you have to be rooting for him to to beat the charges. I mean, I, I think you sh- the better position would be to be rooting for the justice and the truth of the matter yes. uh, in these situations. We covered one of these indictments in a previous episode. We'll put it in the show notes wherein we discuss the fact that the charges themselves are, are a sham. And so in that particular case, I don't want him found guilty of anything because I think the things he's being charged with are absolutely uh, wrong. Like they're, they're, they're not lawful charges in my opinion. Um, but that's no comment on him one way or the other. That's more of an observation of your, your, your own personal practice of this positive reciprocity that we're talking about. Sure. Right? Yeah. And and so then comes up this idea of this. I want to I give you like a tool you can use here, which is the strategic appeal to rights. So yes. if someone stands up and says, what is my right? Or this is my right. Like I have a right to X or a right to Y. And the way that we know that they have that, that right to, to, to something is that they, they appeal to empathy. That's the way that they do it. Like if you want to have people recognize your rights, you have to get them on your side. So if two people are in a conflict, they're matched up against each other, and we want to know who started or who really is to blame, there's not just the initial punch. There could have been escalation steps that preceded that event. We seek to figure out what those are. We tend to hold both parties responsible in our jurisprudence system if uh, despite the fact that somebody threw the first punch, if someone escalated that violence, we still tend to hold uh, both uh, a party who may be deemed to be defending themselves uh, to a standard uh, of guilt because they may have been sufficiently able to withstand or resist uh, any physical action with very little difficulty. They never felt any real uh, s- severe or or mortal th- threat. So we 
what we do in those situations is we look at all those factors and we try to figure out where does our sympathy lie? Like we look at it evenly and we say, where does the sympathy go? This empathy factor plays into who gets the rights. And so everything that we've spelled out, whether it's free speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion, the right to care, keep and bear arms, and all the various rights we talked about that are associated with our criminal justice system just a few moments ago, are all designed on an appeal to empathy. And when we want people to recognize our humanity and to protect that humanity and the rights that we believe that we have, where we go is trying to establish empathy for us, as, for us, or if we're taking up the cause of another person, some unfortunate person, empathy for those persons. Sure. Yeah. This is uh, not entirely new to me, but I'm thinking about it in a new way now. Like growing up, we had a family friend who was a criminal defense attorney. Uh, you know, he was uh, he worked for the DA, so it was his job to defend people who everybody pretty much understood to be guilty. And we asked him, so why do you do this? And he said exactly what you said, because everyone, even criminals, have a right to empathy. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. That's, we need to recognize that humanity or yes. our justice system won't work. Right. And this is, by the way, this presumption helps us figure out how to, to make sure that it, this is an empathetic statement. This is like maybe one of the all-time statements of empathy. And that is... We would rather one, uh, how, how am I going to butcher the statement now? We would rather that one, we want to make sure that one person goes free, even if it means that nine guilty people are also able to walk away, right? We don't want to convict the person who is innocent. Like we have this very, very high standard that guilty people should be able to walk free just so we don't convict an innocent person because we all suddenly imagine ourselves in that position. That intense empathy is really so deeply felt that we're willing to err on that side. So can we go from here to the steel man argument? Because I know there's a different layer to it, and I think you're touching on it. Yeah, I, this the steel man here has to do with the humanity of another person. So we, when we talked about this in episode three, which we put in the show notes, we were mostly talking about rhetoric and argument and understanding other people's point of view. And I encourage you to check out steel man has to do with versus straw man. That's the opposite of a straw manning, which is where you take up a, you, you pick the weakest argument and you set that one on fire uh, to much uh, to great display. Steel man is the opposite. You pick their very best argument, the argument that they, that your opponent would naturally pick and then argue from there. And we took that uh, to several different levels in that conversation in episode three. But here I want to point out that we should be expressing the benefit of the doubt to other persons. There is this sense that there, but for the grace of God, go I. And the that benefit phrase, of the yes. And that phrase, this, this, this there, but for the grace of God, go I, is something I carry around. And it's something I brought to the thinking behind why we have a show called Grace Archie. Right. Yes. Because the truth of the matter is, and there's various ways to illustrate this, there's Dunning-Kruger, there's other stuff. There's ways to illustrate ignorance. And the truth of the matter is, in my human condition, we can say that I know fewer things. I, I, I'm ignorant of more, far more things than I know. We can say that I'm wrong about things. We can say that I don't have the complete picture 
The Apostle Paul expressed it in a beautifully poetic way. In the King James Version, they said, see through a glass darkly. They see through a glass darkly. We don't have the complete picture. And we're constantly put in positions where, number one, we don't have the complete picture. And number two, we're asked to speculate about the part that is the hardest to see, which is the motivation of the other person. Yeah, right. And so I'm hesitant to get into people's motives. I really don't like it. I do psychoanalyze. I, I won't lie. I do it. I do deeply try to figure out. But if I'm doing it, it's because I'm trying to figure out how to get through to a person or how to understand a person better. I'm not doing it to figure out how to overcome or I don't go out gossiping and saying, oh, this person's like so-and-so. Like it is dangerous to spend to think that because I have I have some theory about why you do what you do, that therefore that's the reason you do what you do. That's really dangerous. That's really do. dangerous. And, and yes. that's where, I mean, apologies now to psychology as a field, but that's where you've taken us, people. We think we can analyze it all from outside the situation without ever talking to you. And saying, Jim, so tell me, what was your motive? Right. Like ask yes. us. Yes. And and that's where this humanitarian level of steel manning comes in, saying, you know what? Help me understand this. I can't figure it out. I've done all of the psychological stuff. I've tried empathy, and it's just not helping. Yeah. And 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 you really get to the nub of it. Let's just ask. Like yeah. a lot of trouble can be avoided by a frank conversation. And and, well and I'll tell you, those conversations are incredibly hard to have. Okay. Yes. There isn't anybody around that enjoys having difficult uh, a difficult conversation. Exhibit A. I'll give it to you right right up front. There's a thing called QPR, question, persuade, refer. It's training you can take to help intervene with suicide. And basically what they're telling you to do in this training, which takes an hour, is to ask another person, are you thinking of taking your own life? I have no trouble with this question. I took this training. It's like, so that's all you're telling me here? But the training yeah. is obviously necessary because we've come to a place where we can't even ask someone who is so distressed that they might be thinking of taking your own life. Bill, are you thinking of taking your own life? We've come to that place. That's how far away from, from human respect we are right now. Yeah. And I want to, I just want to maybe even like, that's a more dramatic example and a very, very uh, important one, existential one, but in a day-to-day -day setting, the number of conversations that are avoided that oh, build yeah. up into something greater, I guarantee, I guarantee if you're in a workplace that has three or more people in it, that there's a situation happening right now right with now. work yep. where somebody needed to say something to somebody didn't. And then as a result, it festered and problems got worse. Yep. And everybody thinks I'm going to avoid this conversation that everything will be okay. But it doesn't work that way. It festers. It gets festers. worse underneath the surface. And, and people begin to speculate. And I would caution everyone watching and listening right now, if you're really, really upset with somebody with whom you've not spoken about the issue that makes you upset, by please don't do too many other things with your day today or tomorrow at the very latest. Don't go to the altar is what was actually said. Don't go take communion is what was said in the New Testament until you have settled that problem with this other person. That's right. You won't get it's, involved in communion. It's got to go face to face. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And the longer it has been, the worse it's going to be.
Yeah. But it can't be allowed to keep festering. The conversation has to occur. Shameless plug here, but that's what I do with music because music opens up that potential for a conversation that's difficult in ways that nothing else can. Take a few seconds and explain how you go about doing that. Sure. Um, this is this is so close to my heart because oftentimes I'm in situations where there's a conflict and people have not been able to reach a level of empathy and until you can reach that point of empathy, the conversation can't happen. How do you get there? Well, one of the ways to get there is to become vulnerable in a place of psychological safety. And it turns out that music is really good at doing that. So offering your music to someone else also puts them in a place where they can empathize with something that's sort of below the neck, like that you get below the problem, you get to the heart right away. And once you're in that heart space, that's the time for the conversation. Yeah. Took over the controls from you for a second there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Here we are fighting each other in the control room. Uh, watch this. Uh, I can make you solo. I, I love that. And people can find out more about what you do there at? Musimorphic.com. Musimorphic.com. Yeah, so show notes. Good. So this is, this is such a crucial thing right now in our world because of all the division. You know, and, this, and the scapegoating and everything else that is happening that is driving, you know, the media revenue and driving us nuts. Uh, this is the opportunity. The golden rule is the way. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the philosophy of human respect. I want to apply this in one more place. Yes, this is so practical and so beautiful. Yes. Okay. So the philosophy of human respect starts off with three axioms. Axioms are self-evident claims. They're just true. They're not really debatable statements, right? The sky is blue, right? So the first one is that everyone is pursuing happiness. This is their, their, their primary motivation, their lead motivation. Everyone wants to be happier. The second thing is that no one is ever made happier at the moment that they are stolen from or defrauded or their properties vandalized. So in a property sense, when the bad when bad things happen, where our property is taken or damaged or destroyed, we are always less happy. And the third one is like to the second, and that is at any time that we're physically harmed, that someone initiates violence against us, our person, then our happiness will also decline in that instance. So when you start to put these things together, you uh, arrive at a principle and that principle and principle, the way a principle works is it describes a cause and effect relationship that we experience. Uh, you can observe it repeatedly. Gravity is, is my favorite example because we everybody understands it without understanding the actual principle. They don't most people cannot give you the formula for gravity, for example. And yet they act as if it's true. And it's we're dependent. Our whole world is dependent on the fact that this thing works, that this 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 is a feature uh, we build bridges and buildings with it. We drive cars with it. We walk around rooms because of it. We can predict that it's the way things are going to happen. So that's what I mean by principle. So we take those three factors that I identified. Everyone wants to be happy. No one's happier when their property is damaged or taken. No one is happier when they are physically harmed. And we say that anytime someone experiences theft or violence against their person initiated by another, their happiness, harmony, and prosperity will decline. Always. It's a principle. So 
always it will decline. So it makes this be, different from the golden rule. Well, it, I don't think it really is because I think the next step is for, for you to say, um, I am, uh, because I'm aware of the fact that this is diminishing of happiness, harmony, and prosperity, I will never support an action. I will make a moral principle, which is where I'm going to make this my one of my highest values, a primary value of mine, that I am committed to not supporting any action, being involved in any way with an action that is going to diminish your happiness, harmony, and prosperity, because I was insistent you kind of be my way. I was going to force you. I was going to use violence or theft against you to make this happen. And this, by the way, happens to be kind of the basis of, of libertarian thought, a, a libertarian social philosophy. I mean that small L, and I right. mean it in the social philosophical sense, that I'm concerned about the fact that coercion would be used against you. I should always be choosing the gracious alternative of persuasion. I should be willing to have a conversation with you, or I should invent something that's of service that you would want to consume, or I should find some way to raise money or be charitable. I should always choose a voluntarily organized path rather than walking around pointing guns at people to get things done. So this is, at the end of the day, uh, a, another cousin, really, of the golden rule. I won't do these things. Is it fair to ask the question, how far off the rails did we did we come like by choice here? We, if we've, we've known these things worked. We have, the, we have the poster that shows us how fundamental they are to the major belief systems of the world. How is it that we could have gone so far away from that on purpose? Because politicians show up think, telling us that there's a shortcut. Because individuals go through life seeking get-rich-quick schemes. Because people keep trying to do something short of the hard work of grace, of understanding one another, of asking questions of one another, of having difficult conversations where necessary, of trying to find a place to be of service to other people and do hard work. Um, we want the things to come quick and instant and easy. And someone shows up and says, I can wave a magic wand. I have the secret elixir. I have the mystical formula. I have the method by which it'll be easy for us to have all the great things we want, if only you'll give me money, if only you'll vote for me, if only I don't have to work and I could get it for free. All of those things uh, add up to uh, shortcuts that actually the thing that they cut out is morality. There's this exhortation that we always hear, Jim, when somebody says, well, I wanna change things, right? And then the next, the rejoinder is, we'll get involved. Get involved in what? It's a fight. Yes. You're not going to get any anything done if you get involved in the fight. There's got to be a third way. And we consistently attempt to lay that out. But I, I would like to take this one step further and say that uh, I'm I'm arguing that even human respect is not just a, a is not it's not just another version of the zero aggression principle. It's not just a silver rule. It's, it answers an important question. If you remember the three axioms that we started off talking about, the very first one is everybody's pursuing greater happiness all the time. That's what they're doing. Every action that they're taking, even you're listening to the show right now, was a decision you made, and thank you, because you thought, I'm going to be happy doing this, as opposed to maybe some other things I could have chosen to do at this moment. And this 
the gold rule answers the question, happiness, so what? What do I care about the happiness of others? Well, you said, if you were from one of these other various traditions, if you were from one of these other philosophies, if you were essentially a good person, that you endorse, you support, you believe in the golden rule. So happiness, so what? I don't know. Look in your heart. What did you say you believe? What do you profess? Are you a good person? Do you follow a golden rule?